We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 108, March Madness of the Multitudes. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. Are you ready for March Madness, sir? I am mad. I know you don't watch the sports ball, but uh, <laughs> we've got our own March Madness, so I thought we'd do a little uh, bracket-style episode today, maybe, in uh, in spirit of the double elimination mythic invitational this weekend. Dude, I grew up in North Carolina. Like, believe me, I get the March Madness. I didn't want to be into it in high school, but I had to be into it in high school because it's, you know, Wake Forest and Duke and UNC, so, like, I, I, I'm with you. Okay, you're with me. That's good. I actually don't watch any college basketball, but I do enjoy... There's there's a thing, there's something to be said about the playoff format of any professional sport, or even amateur sport, really. Like, you know, back in high school, or like, you know, watching my kid play in in her high school finals or something like that. Like, it's, it's fun and exciting to play in an elimination format, uh, and it's even more entertaining to watch. So I'm actually really looking forward to that this weekend, to see kind of how a large scale tournament plays out in this bracket style, um, you know, professional sports style. I'm really looking forward to see how it plays out and kind of the storylines. Same, same. So before we get on to that, I got to ask you though, uh, how's your week this week? Not too bad, man. Uh, I've been kind of starting a new format with the stream where we play some arena and some moto and some whatever game Travis is interested in playing. I make sure we still have like eight-ish hours of magic content before I I go goof off and do something else. Um, But I've already bought cosmetics, which I said I wouldn't, and you said I would, and you were right. I didn't even wait for Bolas Horns. I was like, I need my Azorius card backs. Uh, and there's uh, a cube on Magic Online right now. Like, uh, Chion redid the non-powered cube. And uh, I'm three drafts into it, but so far it's been a heck of a lot of fun. Th- that's actually my favorite cube to play, is everything included but no power. Because I felt like the, the the powered cards just led to kind of broken, weird stuff that didn't feel like Magic to me. Whereas this just feels like you're drafting a very powerful deck and there's a lot of strategies to go into. Um, so I, I already got to kill an opponent with a nickel bolus ultimate. So like I basically won cube already, but that's, that's my plan going forward is to continue doing the best of three drafts on arena, uh, do some cube drafts and then goof off some. And it's, it's been a good week so far. Unpowered cube to me seems like the best of limited, like a good limited format plus the best of like an EDH format where you can do ridiculous things and kind of set your own goals while still being competitive. It it seems like it's kind of the best form of magic. If you combine all of those different styles together, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's out for a month. So like it, and I mentioned this, like we've done episodes on cube. We had Tommy come talk us through cube before, but like, I also feel like this one's approachable because you can sit down if you've never drafted cube before and say, I'm going to draft white weenie or mono red. They're not difficult decks to draft and they're competitive. And then you can kind of see what your opponents are doing and learn about the other strategies. So like, it's an excellent beginner's cube as well. Even if you don't know all of the cards, uh, so high high praise for the cube. I'm happy that it has returned. Mm-hmm. 
I uh, opened up Arena today after the update, and I purchased my Soul Ring sleeves. And I, I was actually quite surprised that they were animated and had a nice little sound when you mouse over them. Um, it, it was pretty cool, and, and obviously, you know, for me, reasonably priced. So I, I think the cosmetics are in a good spot. The other thing that I noticed, too, that they didn't really advertise is that there are um, card sleeves you can get with gold. You can spend, I think it was 10,000 gold to get, like, basic mana sleeves, so one of every color. And, uh, and I thought that was a nice little touch. So for the people that don't necessarily want to pay for their cosmetics, or maybe they're strict free-to-play players and they want to spend their gems on drafts, uh, they can they can still get in on the sleeves uh, or the cosmetics. And I, and I thought that was a really nice touch. So it's something for everybody here if you're interested in that, and you don't have to feel left out. Yeah, I had a couple of people complain on stream that the price was too high for these, and I still don't think that that's fair. Like, I, I have been critical of Arena when I feel like they have deserved it. I, I feel like they've actually got these priced just right, where it's the people that want them can get them. And if, if you think it's too expensive, it's probably not for you, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And and the fact that there are the, the free or cheapish ones that you can get, um, I think is really cool. I do expect there to be some kind of card back as like seasonal rewards too. Right? Yeah, we and, talked and, about that last week. Yeah, but it, sure. It, in some capacity, like, so I think that, you know, Yes, if you really wanted the Soul Ring ones and you didn't want to spend like 10 bucks or whatever the, the gem equivalent was, I can understand that you might feel a little irked about it and maybe your price point was like 250 or something like that. Um, but the fact that it doesn't change gameplay and it's not a required thing, I think is is really good. Um, and, that, and that's why I kind of like the price point there. I'm, I wouldn't spend 10 bucks on sleeves, but you know, the fact that I enjoy Magic the Gathering, I enjoy Arena, um, and I got a bunch of these gems from playing in pre-releases and stuff, like I'm I'm totally okay with the price point where it is. So, and I think it's fairly normal for cosmetic items in every digital game now to be around five to ten bucks. Like that's what you're paying for skins in every other game that I've played. Uh, and yeah. I, I like the fact, like we we giggled about this a little bit on stream today. They could have done loot boxes, and I'm glad they didn't because you can just go buy what you want. You do need to understand that MTG is the original loot box. Like boosters are loot boxes. But at least our cosmetics for the game, we can go pick out exactly what we want and buy them. Yeah, exactly. I think knowing what you get, way better than the randomized thing. Um, and you don't have to collect a bunch of stuff before you get the thing that you want. So I think it's it's win-win-win all around. Um, and if you don't like cosmetics at all, well, it doesn't change the way you play your magic. So yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, okay, so that's that's this week. I think we got a... It would be a disservice if we didn't talk about the Mythic Invitational this week. So... Um, Let's just dive right in. So for those that have been living in a cave or under a rock the last few weeks, Mythic Invitational, the Mythic Invitational this weekend is at PAX East. Uh, starts on Thursday, which is the day the podcast goes up. And it is the largest Magic tournament by dollar value, I believe, in history. Is that correct? I, As far as I know. I don't think there's ever been a prize pool this big. Anyway, there's a million-dollar prize pool and $250,000 for first place. We have 64 players playing in a brand new, quote, brand new format, uh, obviously playing on Arena. They're playing Duo Standard. Travis, do you understand what Duo Standard is? It's essentially a way to, it, from what I can tell, it mirrors how Hearthstone tournaments are done, and that you would bring a best-of-one deck and another best-of-one deck, and they would face off against your opponent's choices like that. So in, instead of sideboarding, you're basically switching decks between rounds, uh, and as I understand it, there's like a coin flip to decide who's playing which deck first, uh, and then in the final round you can decide. 
uh, clear, clear me up if I've missed anything there, but the idea is I bring two best of one decks, each without a sideboard. If I wanted to, I could bring, you know, Esper Control Creatureless and Esper Control with the creature sideboard in it. Like, that could be my choice for this. So, in a way, you kind of could bring a sideboarded deck if you wanted to. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, a little different than a best of three where you're playing one deck with a sideboard configuration. This is two different decks. Actually, they could be the same deck if you really wanted to, although I think you're handicapping yourself if you play the same deck twice in this. Um, if it, if the game if the match goes to game three. But yeah, you're playing up to three best of one games instead of a best of three set. So it's still going to be first to two wins, wins the match. Um, just you don't have necessarily that alternating or that choice of being on the player on the draw based on who won or lost the previous game. So there's a little bit of a difference there too in that the first player goes is randomized in the first uh, in the first game, and then it reverses in the second game, regardless of who won or lost. And then in the third game, it's at random again. So there's a little bit of the coin flippiness in that, especially in like a best of one format. If you're playing maybe aggressive styles, uh, where going first could be more important. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that breaks down over the whole tournament. I don't really have a mind for theoretically what that will do. Uh, but I imagine that it will play out quite differently uh, in the grand scheme of things than a best of three. Yeah. Um, so because there's no sideboard, well, when I say no sideboard, it depends if you're playing Masterminds Acquisition or whatever, um, and you're bringing two different decks, It's I find it I found it tough to kind of figure out what I would be taking to a tournament like this or what I think the metagame would be. Um, now, you've obviously played a ton of best of one ladder in the last month or two when you were grinding for the mythic uh ranking and then also trying to hit mythic this month what's the biggest difference do you think between the best of three metagame and the best of one metagame so best of three being with sideboard yes best of three being with with sideboard so traditional play versus best of one play strictly from a ladder sense because i think this will kind of mirror that well, the I, I think it might be close, but I do think this is its own unique bird. But what I found was in best of one, very linear, linear strategies were very good, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is one of the biggest reasons Nexus of Fate got banned in best of one. Um, was like it was almost too good as a linear strategy for that. And, and what I mean by that is very controlling decks or very aggressive decks. And then mid-range decks kind of got pushed out. So like... Sultai and best of one when it was like the a, a very good deck in standard really didn't make a lot of sense to play in best of one you either needed to be doing mono white or mono red aggro um or some sort of very controlling build that was just playing multiple board wipes uh because Sultai's strength was that it could bring in sideboard cards to just dominate control or dominate aggro and you ended up having this m- weird mix of the cards when you tried to tune it for best of one which basically meant that instead of being good against everything, you had dead cards in your deck in every single matchup. Yeah, so... So, I mean, obviously the aggressive decks you understand. What did the control decks do in best of one, or did you notice anything different um, when they would, like, to to maybe avoid matchups where the cards were dead? So, for, for example, were control decks or do control decks in best of one almost pre-sideboard for the control mirror? Like, are they adjusting their strategies, or do you think they're still just playing that straight linear strategy? And then having a way to, you know, dump those useless cards out of their hand with, like, things like Chemister's Insight or Search for Azkanta? 
Yeah, that's exactly it. They're still running the spot removal. So th- first off, they're they're tuning it and trying to play a little bit more spot removal that is more versatile. So they're able to play things like Frasca's Contempt as a removal spell, which against a creature deck, they can get whatever. In a control mirror, they can go after a Planeswalker. You're still going to have to play some of the cheaper spot removal spells. But once you've recognized you're playing a control mirror, as you mentioned, you can discard them to fuel jumpstart effects, or you can just basically get rid of them, scry them, surveil them, however it is you're going to do that. Um, and like you didn't even care about discarding to hand size once you had six lands in play. If you're playing that, who's going to blink counter mirror first? Because like you're again, you're you know cast down is doing basically nothing against your opponent's deck. So you know who cares? Yeah, usually when you get to the discard phase of a control matchup, like draw go, um, usually the person that's discarding resources is losing that match. Uh, but if you're discarding useless cards is better than discarding lands actually and you're probably actually gaining on your opponent in that matchup so it's it's interesting to consider that okay um now obviously aggressive strategies are clearly aggressive um i've seen mid-range decks in best of one and i'm not really sure like how good they are but is is it because the that mid-range decks are trying to beat both aggro and control and they don't really do either of them well until after sideboard or is it just that their cards don't do enough on their own versus control and versus aggro. So for example, like, um, you know, you play like a, a Jade Light Ranger or whatever, and it, it suffers against aggro because it's kind of slow and hard to cast at times. And sometimes it just, it just gets plunked by a shock or we're against control where it's just playing right into the removal suite. Like it, what's the problem with the mid range exactly? And, and how can you tweak that to be better in best of one? Do you think? You can't, and that's the problem, and why mid-range kind of evaporated from that pool. Like, the 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 trick is, aggro is basically looking to catch somebody who's stumbling. Either to have a nut draw, or to catch somebody who's stumbling. So, some aggro decks, mono-white is a good example of this, can have some draws that are so explosive, any deck is going to have trouble keeping up with them. Um, it, it can also have a situation where your opponent just misses their third land drop, and you're able to sneak a win through that way. And like that's the entire strategy of, of very aggressive decks. Whereas control is looking to answer everything, draw cards, and create value engines. So the trick was mid-range was kind of trying to set itself up to be able to prey on aggro decks. Is like that classic paper, rock, scissors things. Those are the matchups where it's supposed to be good. Which means it's running a lot of spot removal. But it doesn't have any actual way to cash those in. Um, you mentioned Chemister's Insight, like it usually doesn't have as much card draw as a dedicated control deck. And then it would still need some sideboard options to really catch, um, aggro, like by surprise, right? Like we're thinking of cards like Golden Demise, Cry of the Carnarium, things like that, that you can bring in Ritual of Soot, um, so I, I feel like the real problem with, with mid-range is that it's pretty good against aggro and pretty good against control game one, but then that sideboard is really what kicks it into high gear. You mm-hmm. can bring in some discard against a control deck. You can bring in more sweepers against an aggro deck. Um, but it, it basically means that you're always going to have dead cards if you try to tweak it, right? So say you're playing Sultai and you're like, man, I keep losing to these aggro decks. I'm going to bring in more sweepers. Well, as soon as you get matched up against a control deck, they don't do anything, and then yeah. you start thinking, well, maybe I'll just main deck some discard spells. And then you get matched up against aggro and they don't do anything. And that's when you the light bulb goes off and you're like, well, I'll just main deck both. <laughs> Instead of four wraths and four discard spells, I'll play two of each. And basically what you've done is made sure you can't have any good matchups at that point. 
So I, I really think mid-range decks are the ones that struggle the most in, in a best-of-one format. Now, I don't think the Mythic Invitational is a best-of-one format. I, I, think, I think it's close, but I do think we will see mid-range decks here. Yeah, that, and that's kind of the next question that I wanted to go with, is what, what kind of decks do you expect to see, and what kind of decks do you think will prevail? So when I was sitting and thinking about it today, I was along the same lines. It's like, well, mid-range, like the, the crisis decks and stuff, you kind of don't see a lot in best of one. Like, you'll see the occasional one, and, and maybe there's some really good players out there that have decent win rates with them, but it just seems like it's a strategy that's that's taking the loss on both sides of the spectrum, as, as you were saying, versus control and versus aggro. Um, so you almost have to kind of tune it to just be really good against one and kind of fold to the other a lot of the time, I think. And I, I imagine you're tuning it to be really good against aggro and kind of folding to control. Um, I don't know. I don't play crisis deck, so it's, it's really tough for me to know for sure. So like I'm expecting to see mono red, mono white, Esper control, maybe mono some blue. mono blue, I think too, is probably along those same lines, which is interesting. Mono blue might be kind of the closest to a mid range deck that I would expect. Because it, it, it can play both sides of the spectrum from the initial, from the game one matchup. It can play aggro tempo, and it can be control-y if it has to, or, or it can take it slow against control, which is kind of interesting to me. So I look forward to seeing if there's a, a couple of different flavors of that. And then on the control side, you know, I expect to see probably, like I said, Esper control. Um, maybe, like, maybe obviously running, like, Thought Erasures and things like that. And then probably some kind of Reclamation deck. I'm not really sure, like, if it would be, like, the explosion side or the, um, uh, well, I guess it's really just the explosion side that you're probably looking at. Is if Nexus I, of Fate banned in this tournament? I assume that it is because it's banned in Best of One on Arena. Okay, I don't know that that's the case. I guess if it's not, then you would probably see them. Yeah. I guess we should, you know what, let me just, uh, let, let me look that up. You give me your thoughts on this and I'll go, I'll go take a look at this. Yeah, while you're digging through, I think David hit the nail on the head there with Mono Blue being able to play both roles, and that is 100% a deck that I would take to this if I was playing. Um, I would probably take a version very close to what Alexander Hain was tweeting out about two months ago. I played it a lot on the ladder, got as high as ranked 66 in an attempt to qualify for this tournament, uh, and have played it even more after that. And the flexibility of what you can do with that deck... Like you said, if you're up against a control deck, you can basically spew out your hand and have a counter spell to, to counter their first wrath. Uh, and if somebody's trying to go aggressive against you, uh, you can use your creatures as removal spells. I'm wondering if I would be main decking Surge Mares in, in this list. And I think that I might, because I think there's going to be so many uh, other aggressive decks um, that I, I certainly think that that's something I would be bringing in, but we'll have to see what the the pros and the invitees decide. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. You could probably play the Surge Mares over like your one one unblockables. I don't even know if those are main deck anymore. I haven't played Mono Blue in a while, um, but I think I think you'd probably you'd probably be in a really good position to play those, and they even do decently against Control too in a way because you can get some extra damage through without committing to the board. So I think I think that's quite interesting. Um, the it's it, the rules here say that you submit two standard legal decks. So it doesn't tell us here, it doesn't say one way or the other. Standard legal implies to me that Nexus would be fine. Mm -hmm. But given that Nexus is banned in best of one on Arena, and I don't remember if, if this article was written before or after the Nexus ban, so I don't remember what date Nexus ban happened. So I guess we'll see. In fact, is it uh, is it uh, is it genius? Or, or kind of scummy 
to to come with a Nexus deck or to to ask the question if Nexus is banned and then come with a Nexus deck, assuming that most of the players or some of the players would assume that it's banned. I would 100% asked, and that would be my second deck if it's not. Yeah, because, like, the Nexus deck is um, is in, it uh, incredibly oppressive in best of one. In best of three, obviously, like, the sideboard really helps against that, but there's not a ton of main deck answers in best of one to Reclamation, and especially not against the Nexus of Fate once it gets going. So my trick would be bring Mono Blue and Nexus of Fate slightly tweaked for the mirror, meaning that I would have a few extra counter spells in there than what they normally run, because I found that Mono Blue actually had a pretty dang good matchup against Nexus of Fate. It wasn't quite a buy, and as long as you knew when to scoop, which is basically when they, you know, have a flip search and a Nexus in hand, like, and Wilderness Reclamation is on the board, like, just let it go, man. Scoop it up. You're not winning that. But, like, other than that, if you knew what to counter, which was basically Reclamation um, and Nexus, if you could, like, if they got to seven mana, you're having problems anyway. But um, I, I felt like that had a good matchup against both. So those would be my decks. Interesting. I'm wondering if um, main decking negates or um, non-essence captures in the mono blue would be good too, because then it would give you, your cards wouldn't be dead against control, and things like negate seem to always have a target in best of one, right? Like mono white has uh, some spot removal, history of Benalias, things like that. Obviously mono red has burn that goes to the face, plays really well in the mono blue mirror, plays against control really well. Like I'm just wondering if negates have a place in this format because so you know when you're on the best of one ladder you're not really metagaming that you can't like you can't right there's like five or six different archetypes and you're like okay like i can maybe metagame for those ones but you still kind of have to have game against the the weird kind of fringe decks and stuff in a format where everybody's metagaming hard you kind of got to be on that third level so there's gonna be people on level one which are the people that you know Maybe the people that didn't have a ton of time to, to, to test or prepare for this because maybe they have full-time jobs or they're in school or they're just not professional magic players, right? Like, obviously, a professional magic player on the MPL can spend 60 hours a week doing this because they don't have to work a full-time job to pay their mortgage, right? There's, so those people are going to be on level one. Then there's going to be level two. So these are going to be the people that are, like, super serious about this event, but maybe not at that pro level. But then I expect that there's going to be people above that level on that level three, and I, and I think that's your goal is to get to that level three of metagaming. So it's like playing a basic stock deck or maybe slightly tweaked and picking what you think are your two best decks. Level two is metagaming for those on deck choice and some deck configuration. And then level three is going beyond that step and metagaming for those level two decks, which I think is where the mirror, like tweaking for the mirror, like you said, whether you're playing Nexus or Mono Blue or something like that, or just finding a deck that's completely off the ladder. And one of the decks that I'm I'm interested to see if it makes it is that silly land destruction deck that's going around, which seemed to have game against a lot of decks, but I don't know if it has game against enough decks to make it worth it. I'm wondering if like a, an off-the-wall strategy similar to that, maybe not exactly that, um, has a place in a meta like this where you can kind of take take people by surprise and and steal a game and then get a, if you can get to game three, you have a coin flip of having that stolen game again potentially you know there's also the question of like why are these people here and what are they hoping to gain out of this event mm-hmm. right because uh, I just, everybody coming here would love to win this but like that's level one 
Level two might be somebody recognizing, I'm probably not going to win this, but if I get screen time with a cool deck, I might could get noticed from this, mm-hmm. right? And then be ahead of the pack from that. And level three would be actually building a cool deck that's good enough to win the thing. So you just don't know what you're going to walk into when you get this. Like somebody may very well bring a deck like that, or you could see somebody playing a mill deck. Uh, like BDM was a late inclusion here. God only knows what that man will bring to this event, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what some of the invitational players, sorry, the invited players play. And I mean, like, not necessarily the people that are pros that got invited, um, but the the smaller streamers that got invited that, um, you know, regardless of how serious they take the game or how good they are at the game, um, did they brew? Did they come up with something on their own? Did they come up with something that's going to surprise the field? I do expect a high percentage of decks to be meta decks, though, right? Like, yeah. you're going you're gonna to see standard decks with some tweaks. Like, you're going to see white weenie, mono red, mono blue, all of that stuff. You're going to see all that stuff. So I, I'm very curious to see how much those fringe decks are percentage-wise and in what hands are they. And then, obviously, are the pros or are there, like, when I say pros, I mean the the people that, that I think are favored to win their matches in, in round one or round two. Like, are they expected? Or are they expecting things like that? Are they going to pre-board for some of these weird things or are they just going to have a bunch of you know catch-all cards um i'm i'm wondering if a card like mastermind's acquisition is going to be more common in this like if control decks like esper control decks or or decks that can afford to play mastermind's acquisition are going to do that and have effectively you know 64 or 65 cards in their deck with the ability to tutor for the card that they need whenever they need it now, I, I, I'm going to, maybe we're going to have to get into the brackets now. You tell me if we're ready for that or not. But you said the pros, the people who are favored to win their matches. Yes. I don't necessarily think that all of the pros are favored to win their matches. No, and I don't think so. But I think as a whole, I think if you took, I think if you take the, the 32 MPL players and uh, take their winning or their, their win loss record at the end and compare them to the 32 non MPL players. I think you have to give a slight edge to the MPL side overall. And I'm going to take that slight edge back with this. This is the first digital tournament there has ever been. And the 32 people who are not MPL players have a lot more experience playing digital games than any of them do. So all of the skills that they've cultivated at the table, there will be no pin trick. There is no bluff. Like, there is no reading your opponent and having the soul read as you glance and stare into their eye. Like there's just so much that's lost that they're used to having that these other people are used to working with. Like I know how to bluff in MTG arena, right? And maybe some of these people do, maybe some of them don't, but a lot of that, those aspects of the game that they're used to for playing a paper card game are just gone. So I actually think I'm I, when I was going through this bracket, I gave a little bit of edge to people that either have gotten through this exclusively online or who I know have played a lot online in addition to being an a, a MPL person. Like all of them have streamed some now, but like I, I, there's some Hearthstone pros that are in this, and I don't think you can compare the experience of a Magic pro that started streaming three months ago to somebody that's been streaming Hearthstone for four years. Yeah, I don't think I put as much weight on that. Um, it, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to describe, but I think that I think that a lot of a lot of the weight will be carried by the MPL's player like skill, just raw skill when it comes to magic. And I think that they probably do have enough time 
um, the ones that did put in the time, I think they did have enough time to kind of lessen, like lower that or narrow that gap between the players that have been doing this for a while. But I think you also have a lot of players on the invitational side that that don't necessarily have those skills, right? Like there's a lot of like pros that have been invited to that side too. Uh, you know, for example, like Luis Scott Vargas, um, right? You say there's no pen trick, right? But I mean, he's been playing digital magic on Moto for forever, right? So I don't think he loses. Yeah, he's not going to have a problem with this. Sure. So, so you're right. I do think there are some MPL players that probably are not as well off as they would be at a paper tournament, but I still think that there's a lot of MPL players that are. So I, I I think it's, I still think it's a slight edge, but I think it would be very interested to see. I want to see the numbers at the end of it. And I don't know, maybe like the best way to do it is you just see how many people made day two or maybe you take the total lot win loss record and stuff like that. Um, but but I think knowing nothing else about the like if you if you gave me two names in the bracket and you said this person is an MPL player and this person is not an MPL player and I didn't know the names or anything aside from that, if I was betting on it, I would bet slightly more often on the MPL side than I would on the non MPL side. I don't know, man. I think a lot of their edge too as like professional magic players is really being able to metagame a tournament. And to do mm-hmm. that, you need a deep understanding of a format. And this format has never been played before. Like, they've been able to jam decks against each other, sure, and that'll get you inbred results. Because if you and I are going to practice for this, and we both think we should be playing aggressive or very controlling decks, and nobody tries anything else, we're not ready for this tournament, right? So, like, again, let's say that this is modern, Am I going to bet for Reed Duke or the person who streams drafts? Well, I'm going to bet for Reed Duke every single time, but it's not. And I I think some of that is going to be missing here. So I I do think previous digital experience is going to give people an edge here. Sure. I'm going to disagree with you on that one a little bit because I think that the invitationals are also in the same boat. And then so what ends up happening is I think the raw experience and the raw skill when it comes to deck building and metagaming from paper somewhat applies and would apply more so like take me for example right let's say i was invited just just whatever right okay okay i'm a decent player i can hold my own i'm not gonna have anywhere near as much knowledge going into this on on like because i don't have the experience metagaming from other large tournaments as i would as like a random mpl player i think and i think the mpl players teams are so deep that they're still going to be able to metagame, even if they're not perfect. I think they're still, it's not as much of an advantage as they would in like a, a Pro Tour, for example. But I still think that that ability is going to carry them a little bit of the way. It might just narrow that gap. So I think if you if you want to look at it this way, I, I, I agree with you. I just don't agree with you to the extent, I think. So, well, let, 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 me, do, let, let me do one more argument for this. Sure. The first esports tournament that was held for MTG Arena was a Twitch Rivals event. Mm-hmm. I prepared for that event with three other people. You may recognize them. Anime, Muffin Pastry Pie, and Nessa Meow. They're all in this bracket. The four of us built a deck that got me into the top eight of that event. Ashley was there at ninth on Breakers, um, and the other two had a winning record. So, like... You can have people prepare for a specific event and with digital experience and win this thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually think Ashley's going to do very well at this. I have her like beating people that people won't think, and I'm going to defend those choices when we get to this bracket session. Okay, and you know what? And, and it, I think it's probably just a matter of how extreme I sound on this one. Like, I don't think it's like sixty forty MPL to invitationals. I think it's closer than that. 
but I think like if I was going to bet a thousand times on it, I would still bet a thousand times on a bit more on the MPL than I would on the other side of it. And the thing about the double elimination is it doesn't leave a lot of room for error. So you are going to see, you know, a lot of people that maybe you might like some people might think are underdogs in the tournament or underdogs in their matchup. You know, it's magic. Those people are going to win some of the games some number of times. So Mm -hmm. my bracket's going to get busted after round one. Um, you know, I, I just, I just think that the pros are pros for a reason and the pros have an edge. Like you're talking about the, the top 32 players in the world last year. Like they, they were the top 32 for a reason. So I think raw skill should be able to carry them at least part of the way on that one. So it'll be interesting. I think we should go through the bracket, uh, real quick here. And I'm really curious to see, first of all, I hope that the bracket that we're looking at is the actual correct bracket that comes out in, after the first round on on Wizards End. I hope they use a traditional double elimination bracket, and this is accurate, because if it's not, this whole contest for us goes out the window. So what we're looking at here is, uh, and I can post the link on, on Twitter tomorrow morning so people can go and fill out their brackets as they wish tomorrow, uh, but what we're looking at is like a March Madness-style double elimination. It's a bracket, double elimination. Obviously, that's not March Madness-style. Um, with all of the seeds and, and everything for all of the groups set up, uh, and it's allowed us to pick the winners and losers in each matchup, and then it seeds the losers bracket uh, with with the the X ones, and then gone through and clicked everything and came up with a final four for each of the pods, and those final four from each pod will advance to day two, which is a round of sixteen. Now we don't know what the round of sixteen format's going to be. We know it's double elimination, but we don't know how that's going to get seeded. So this is as far as we could take it, um, and then maybe we'll do this again on, for the final sixteen. So you want to start with pod A here. Sure. Are we just going to say who we think is going to win it, or you want to go through these pick by pick? What do you think? I want to go through the the people that we think are going to top for it. Okay. And then if there's any interesting matchups or things, people that you think go further than what somebody would expect, or, or people like people you want to highlight, I think we can talk about that. Okay. Okay. So my winners from my top four from the winners bracket is I have Jerry Thompson and Alexander Hain, the the, the famous Canadian Magic player, as going undefeated. Uh, so they're the first two to advance out of the bracket A. And then I have Matt Nass and Autumn Burchette, uh, recent Mythic Championship winner. Uh, they're called Mythic Championships, right? Pro yes. Tours? Okay. Uh, those, that's my top four coming out of, of Group A. And I think um, I think it's tough to argue with a lot of these, with with my picks. Uh, Hain has been, like, streaming a ton and, and practicing all sorts of decks, and he's just an amazing player. Uh, Jerry Thompson, I think, is due for for a huge kind of run at an event like this. Uh, he's just a consistently solid player. Um, Matt Nass, I mean, obviously he tears up the modern circuit, but I think his testing team is deep enough that gives him uh, a slight edge in a lot of these matchups. And, um, and I think he's got an easy bracket. I have him losing. Where do I have him losing? I have him losing early in the bracket and kind of ending up on the side of kind of a an easier path to get out. So it's almost like uh, going in the back door there. And then Autumn, I mean, obviously they won the the, pro, uh, the Mythic Championship recently, so um, hard to bet against them. Okay. Um, we have two of the same names, although a different path for one of them. Okay. So I'm I'm projecting Autumn will come out undefeated from her from their bracket. Mm-hmm. I'm projecting Alexander Hain will come out undefeated from his bracket. Mm-hmm. On the loser's bracket, I have Andre Strowski, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm going to have an awful time saying his name, but this, the Hearthstone player. Yes, and I think both of those are fine picks, especially Andre, because he's got a ton 
of Magic experience, and he actually recently won a GP as well. So he's got the large tournament, like the high stakes experience. Yeah, I I think the the matchup that we probably disagree on or maybe do is I think Wyatt Darby is going to be a difficult match for Jerry Thompson. Yeah, I think that's fair. I really didn't know how to handicap the that one. Um, I think like that's probably the closest matchup in the first round out of all of yeah. this. Um, with maybe maybe a nod to to Jamie Topples and MTG Nerd Girl, I think Brittany Hamilton. Brittany has been prepping the heck out of this. I think I think Jamie has too. I gave the edge to Brittany on that one for sure, but I think uh I think that one might be kind of a sleeper pick as like the matchup to watch in that in that part of the bracket. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um and then I mean there's players like Yuya Watanabe that you can't really sleep on. Like there's you look at this, there's a ton of good players. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of good players. Everywhere here. you look, there's a good player, right? So it's I think it's really tough to handicap, but I don't mind your picks at all. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to see. I want to see like, so we've got two the same, we've got two the different. I want to see kind of who comes out there and maybe we got all four wrong. Who knows? I, I'm pretty sure I got them right. Okay. That's fair. All right. Group B. Uh, do you want to start with yours? Sure. Uh, so here's my undefeateds, uh, Beatrice Grancha and Caleb Durwood on the losers bracket, making it through are Efro and Ben Stark. Efro and Ben Stark. This is the one I think uh, we're going to differ the most on here. So I have Shahar Shanhar coming out of uh, the the top half of the bracket undefeated, and a Caleb in the in the bottom half. I think I think Caleb's got um, he's he's got the chops. I think I think he's gonna he he ran the table or almost ran the table at the first uh, Twitch Rivals event, right? Uh, oh no, yeah. he did run the table, right? He, so he ran the table entirely. Yeah. So I I think he's he's got enough experience with this one, and I think he's. He, he's a he's a good enough player, obviously good enough player, but I think he's got the ability to tweak some of these decks and put his own little personal touch on them that will make him challenging to people that are not expecting. Like, if, if he'll be prepped for mirrors, he'll be prepped. I think both of his decks will be tuned kind of as, as well he, as they can be. Even if he doesn't tune them, he will know exactly what to play and when to play it yeah. and be able to do it in a way that makes it look easy. Like, th- this guy is actually a monster magic player, and, like, the only reason he isn't crushing GPs and, like, winning Pro Tours these days is he's like, I'd rather listen to cool music and stay up late and stream magic. Like, the guy's a machine. Yeah. I have uh, Lishi Ten coming out of the loser's bracket on that side. Um, you know, obviously, he's just a perennial top player. And Luis Salvato coming out of the other uh, loser's bracket there. So he was recently uh, crowned world champion, if I remember correctly, right? Correct. I think so. Yeah, I think that was that was Louis Savalto, right? Um, him and Seth Manfield went head to head, and I think that was interesting because we saw these best of one style matchups in that head to head series. Not not that that gives him an edge because obviously he's only played it once, but I think we can look to that and see what styles of decks might come out of this. Not necessarily those decks exactly, but like how those decks were configured um, for the meta that they were in, and we can see you know, look back to that and see if that'll have any influence on this. And like, I, again, I'm giving a nod to somebody that qualified through the ladder here. That's who mm-hmm. Beatrice is. And mm-hmm. I, I like looking this up and seeing how she qualified and what she said about it. I believe she has an actual shot to make it to uh Saturday play. Yeah. I think you can't sleep on any of the people that were 
in the top eight of the latter uh, invitation. Um, Andre was was the top eight. I think he was like top three or something like that, if I remember correctly, too. So from yeah. the from the group A, right? Um, they obviously have the chops and they put their reps in, so you you can't sleep on them. Um, what they did was harder than winning this. I think I think that's probably fair to say, right? This to win this, you got to win like ten matches. Like to top eight, you got to win like hundreds of matches. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, this one's a little less forgiving, I think, because two and you're done. Like, on the ladder, you lose two in a row. It's whatever. You wake up Wednesday morning and you're good to go. You can keep grinding it away. Um, but, you know, you got to get a little lucky to get top eight, and you got to get a little lucky to get through this. In fact, because of the format of this, like, <coughs> excuse me, it's not necessarily going to be the most skilled player that makes it through. It's going to be the person that wins at the right time. Yeah. Well, I mean, what Magic tournament hasn't been that? I mean... Swiss Swiss portions of it is not necessarily the people that win at the right time, but like, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You get two losses, you're out. I mean, basically, that, that's another thing I wanted to talk about here is that, like, this is basically day one of a GP. Like, double yeah. elimination is basically day one of a GP. You lose twice, you pack it up and go home. Um, mm-hmm. With the exception of pros don't get buys here. Yeah, how about that? How about that? So, So that's part of that edge that goes to some of those invitational players is like, you know, whoever may be the 64th ranked player in this tournament based on skill, right? They're still going to have a 35 or percent or better chance to beat anybody at any given day in a best mm-hmm. of three series, right? Like it just, that's just how magic works. So I think it'd be interesting. So we're going to have some interesting storylines here for sure. I agree. And then group C, uh, I believe this was noted as the toughest group. And I think I have to agree with that. There are some... This this group is stacked. Like, Reed Duke, Seth Manfield, Luis Scott Vargas, uh, William Jensen, Nassif. There's a lot of good players in this in this matchup, or in this bracket. So I have Will, William Jensen, Huey Jensen, Reed Duke, Luis Scott Vargas, and Brian Bronduin. I basically just picked the, the top four names that I saw on here and said, like, I think so-and-so can win a coin flip against Seth Manfield. You know, I think that... You know, Luis Scott Vargas beat Cedric Phillips in round one, but like this, this, this bracket is the one that I'm least confident in. Like this is going to get busted, guaranteed somewhere along the way. We're actually really close on this. I have Huey Jensen, Siggy, BBD, and Ashley Espinoza. Yeah, looking looking at her matchups, I actually believe she can do this. Like, and again, I have tested for a big tournament with Ashley. She's certainly got the chops. Yeah. So, like, she knows how to play. She's used to playing digitally. And I looked at who she's paired against, and I could see a, if she gets the right mix of just a little bit of overconfidence on their side, she can pull this off. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be overconfident in any of these. Actually, that's 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 wrong. I think that's there are going to be some. I think there are going to be some players that are overconfident. I think, I think the the top professional players are not going to be overconfident because they play GPs all the time. They play pro tours all the time against all sorts of different players of skill levels and things like that. But like looking at her, her path here, like, you know, she's got to beat Paulo Vitor Damodorosa in round one, not an easy out, but I mean, I think she's got the chops that she can go toe to toe with anybody. So I don't think you're wrong there. If she wins two coin flips, you know, she's all of a sudden she's two Oh, and she's got to beat. Who does she have to beat? You have her beating show. I have her beating. Mm-hmm. I have her needing to beat Will, Huey Jensen out of that bracket. Okay. Yeah, I have her needing to beat Huey out of that bracket too. But in mine, she doesn't and makes it through on the other side. Right. And you put her through on the other side. Okay. That's interesting, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and 
the interesting thing is is the later in the tournament you get your loss, the fewer games you have to play. So if she can get out of that round one, I think does that knock an entire game off of off of her her path to getting out of the losers bracket, assuming she goes two and one. I think yeah. it does, right? So what you really want to try to avoid is trying to avoid that first round loss because you have to play that extra game. Obviously, you don't mm-hmm. want to lose at all, but losing in like the the win and in for for like you know in the two zero bracket that win and guaranteed in um, is the best place to go because you almost get you get seated as like the end boss in the losers bracket, um, mm-hmm. and and that's that's kind of where you want to be. So all right, that'll be interesting. I think this one's going to get busted for me here, but. Um, I mean, whatever. You just, like I said, you just got to win a bunch of coin flips in that bracket. Agree. All right. And then Group D, you want to give me your your top four? Yes. We will go through this. All right. So I have Tiago Sopreteo. I'm really bad with his name. But this was the number one ranked player that made it in. Uh, so, yeah. Got my vote. Uh, you know, this is a little bit of Men From Moto loyalty. And a little bit of, I think he can pull this off. Kenji Agashihira is my other undefeated. Like, he's been busy. I know he's got stuff going on. I also know this would be a big deal for him to win. And nobody has played more Magic digitally than Kenji. Period. Like, they just haven't. Um, the next player I had to look up. Um, but after walking through here, I'm like, I think they can pull this off. Uh, Teruya Kakume? Not sure how you pronounce that, but yes. Uh, this individual has done a crap ton of winning in big Magic tournaments uh, since 2003 all the way to 2019 um, throughout multiple formats. Like, they have top eight at GPs in Limited, Legacy, Team Limited, Modern, uh, Standard. Like, you name it, they've won it. Uh, so they've got my vote. And then Martin Musa. Like, it's going to be hard to go wrong voting for that guy. Yep. I have, uh, the only two I differ with you on are, uh, sorry, the only one is Brad Nelson. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I have Brad Nelson coming undefeated out of the, the top half of that bracket, so. I, I have him losing to uh, Tiago. There you go. So that's that's where we differ on that bracket. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm surprised um, how much we agreed. I'm not. <laughs> to be honest okay. like like i think we did the same amount of research um i think you gave more of an edge to some of the invitationals which i totally respect um and dude, I, I tried to do that I, again i think any of them qualifying that for this is harder than any individual actually trying to win this so yeah, yeah i'm gonna give those people a big edge yeah I, I think so too so um but i mean the the the, the thing we have to understand here the, the people that are looking at this um and comparing it to like a march madness bracket like a college basketball bracket is those brackets are seeded based on rankings these brackets are not seeded on anything the groups are not i don't even think the groups are seeded maybe maybe they are behind the scenes but there is no like you know number one player from the mpl playing against the number 64 player coming in like that just doesn't exist so like these brackets, outside of maybe a couple of matchups early in round one, are complete coin flips. Well, to say it's complete coin flips means that it's random, but I, well, I think what you're getting at is that we have evenly matched players. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, you you can flip a coin and be right more times than picking it. Yeah. I think is where I'm going with that. So I, think I mean, I'm, unless you're me. I, I picked these all perfectly. You picked them all perfectly. So I think what we should do is we should... Um, 
see which one of ours comes out as uh, having more players making day two and forget okay. about which side they went up their bracket on. Cause I think like that might just all get thrown out the window. If, um, if our bracket and the way they seed for the losers bracket is completely wrong. Uh, but I think looking at the undefeateds for sure, you know, or, or, or like seeing how many of the top four come out, um, I think will be the way that we grade this and bragging rights. Uh, pack of sleeves. Pack of sleeves on arena. There's no way I'm spending $12 on you on arena. Get out of here. No, let's put some money on it, Dave. Can I transfer? Uh, Gambling's illegal, sir. I'm not suggesting that we gamble. I'm suggesting a a friendly wager. (laughs) Friendly wager. Tell you what, Uh I'll find some way to transfer you 10,000 gold so you can buy the the free-to-play sleeves on arena. (laughs) Okay, sold. I don't think you can buy those with gold. Okay. I think it'd be interesting. So, uh, awesome. I will uh, make sure to write all this down and we can kind of go from there although we're pretty close on all of these so i think it's really just going to come down to like one or two differences yeah yeah agree awesome anything else to talk about here i mean you've mentioned well let, let's just real quick what decks would you run you said you would run nexus if mono it was blue. legal and mono blue what if nexus is not legal what would you run instead uh, uh probably mono red with experimental frenzy mm-hmm that's fair, man. The you talk about getting a nut draw, and like mono red has a couple of nut draws that just there's nothing that's beating it. It's kind of yeah. like mono white. Up until yesterday, I was on mono white as one of my decks uh, for the power of the nut draw and also just the resiliency against a few decks. Um, and then I started running into a lot of decks that seemed to be good against it, and I went on a losing streak. Um, I'm on tilt a little bit, so I think I'm off the mono white. <laughs> Definitely on mono blue if I had enough time to prep for it and, and really practice, because I think that deck is one of the highest skill ceilings, um, and you can definitely play it wrong. And I'm probably lo- I would probably look at some kind of Esper control flavor, um, try to find one with a Mastermind's Acquisition um, to be able to essentially extend my deck into 64 or 65 cards um and have kind of like the the swiss army knife of of answers or threats if i need them and kind of just be as flexible as i can be for a control deck to try to maybe win that mirror and also have some game against uh the the linear aggro strategies i want to mention too um i think it is worth noting that they have opened this up to restream if you're interested in doing that Mm -hmm. and i know that yeah, that's super cool, and I know that friends of the podcast, Ethan and Ben, are going to be doing some restreaming of this. So if you want commentary on a different level, you're able to get that. I I think typically when Wizards streams their own commentary, they try to do a very beginner-friendly approach, as they should. Uh, but if you want something a little more in-depth, uh, maybe check out Lord Tupperware's stream over the weekend and get some of his thoughts about this. I considered doing that myself. Uh, but then I was like, you know, I'm not really known for my cunning insights into standard. That's kind of not my thing. If we were doing a, if this was sealed or draft, I think I would actually restream it and have a blast with it. Uh, so I'm going to pass this one out. If I do tune in, I'll probably watch, be watching a good bit on Ethan's stream. Uh, yeah. So just a, sh- a shout out to them. I think that'll be worth checking out. Um, by all means, I think that's what I'm going to watch too. Don't sleep on the team that they have though, like the Wizards team that they have. They have They've a, got some good people here, too. They have a top-notch analysis crew. I'm really looking forward to David Williams being on coverage. I don't 
think I've ever seen him do magic coverage, but I've seen him do poker coverage and his analysis of, of poker is like sec it's amazing it's it's great and i imagine that that will translate well to uh to magic the gathering plus they have uh day nine as the stage host which i think is a huge get for them and they have brian kibler on the desk as well so i think we're going to see i it's going to be different than a a pro tour or a mythic championship and i and i enjoy the pro tour mythic championship coverage in the past i think this is going to be kind of entertaining on an entirely different level while still being insightful and i'm really looking forward and i hope that they knock it out of the park um the other interesting thing is they're um partnering with i forget the name of it i should have looked it up before the podcast um the uh there'll be a twitch overlay to show contents and bios on players so contents of the hands and bios on the players so they're not going to use the deck master that we use but you will be able to pull up deck lists um, and and look at the cards in more depth, or look at the decks in more depth. I think it's cardboard live. I think you're right. Something or, or some, like that. Something card live. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. So I think I think this no, I think this this whatever comes out of this from the tournament perspective is going to take Wizards uh, streaming into the next like level. I think it's just going to get so much better based on this, and I'm really excited to see where they go with this after. The, tournament. the big thing for me, and I think if they can do this, they've got a, a huge success from my book, is I, we're already not going to have to watch Player Shuffle. That's a huge upgrade for me because like so much of Paper Magic and a, a big reason I didn't watch any of the content was I didn't like to watch people shuffle for five minutes. The second one is, can you do something to fill the dead time? And I think they've got the personalities that they could have a conversation and keep that going. Like, I expect there's some people there that will have chemistry. If they are actually had the forethought to stagger these matches a little bit, so like maybe group A starts at 10, group B starts at 10, 10, group C starts at 10, 20, so that they make sure there's always matches going on throughout the day, then we could have nonstop magic being played. And that would be a great thing for a tournament like this. I wouldn't be surprised if they even recorded some of those. And instead of doing like the um, the time walk matches, they just played them as if they were live. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, maybe they have it where the, the con like the match results can't get spoiled or something like that. Like they have an agreement with the players or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if we just had nonstop, quote unquote, live content or at least unspoiled content. Yeah, that would also work, too. Yeah, but... I'm really excited to see. I I hope that it goes off without a hitch. I mean, I've I've done productions and and tournaments and things like that that for the first time they always have a hitch. But uh, given Wizards' experience with the the Pro Tour and the Mythic Championships, I think that uh, I think they'll be able to pull it off. I'm really looking forward to see the outcome of this. And I mean, million dollar prize pool. That's pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah. Like again, you mentioned it. Anything with competition and that much on the line is going to be entertaining. Going to be huge. Uh, so I'm putting my money on Ashley to win the whole thing, by the way. So bold prediction there. And uh, I'll be looking forward to those sleeves. Oh, you know what? We should have done hot takes. We should have done like a hot take each on this tournament. Your hot take is that, is it muffin pastry pie? Yep. She's winning. Take, she's winning the whole thing. She's winning the whole thing. Hmm. What is my hot take? My hot take is that somebody gets disqualified. <laughs> All right. One one of the Mythic Pro players will get disqualified, um, and it will be for... Uh, and it can't be for a deck list error. What do they get disqualified for? I don't even know. Somebody's going to get disqualified, though. Okay, okay. Okay, so, so that means somebody's going to get a buy in one of these rounds. 
All right. All right. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing it. We'll come back next week. We'll see how our brackets do. And then uh, we'll talk about the winner and go on from there. We're pretty close to war the spark spoiler season, too. Yeah. Which, word on the street is that's not going to be too much longer. Time time flies, man. We're getting it old. Oh, well, I'm, I'm getting handsome. You're getting old. Well, I mean, yes. Have you seen the gray in my beard? Dude, yeah. You get, you get handsome when you get old. When I say you, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, where can they catch you streaming the rest of this week and not recasting the Mythic Invitational, but <laughs> potentially potentially watching it on someone else's stream? Uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Simulin, and I'm on Twitter under the same name, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm at Twitter. I'm DCivillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can catch us on Twitter, uh, Men for Moto Twitter, which is uh, at Men for Moto. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, aside from just listening, you can also catch us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash menformoto. Once again, thanks to Face-to-Face Games for the host and all of the support. We'll catch you next time. Adios.